0: New Year Happy Part 3. We have talked about the happiness habits. I want you to take out your notes. They're in the bulletin as well. Follow along. Fill in the blanks. Take notes is always beneficial. I've been doing some research about that then. And the process of just writing things out, not even typing, but writing things out, is actually one of the best ways to internalize it. That's why we have you take notes. So not just listen, but to internalize what is being said. The happiness-forming habits. Week one, get to church. That's a simple summary of week one's message. Week two, hear from God. So you got to shut out the voices around you that are clamoring for your attention and learn how to listen to God and set a part-time in your day to listen to God. But also this, this moment right here, you're listening hopefully to God, not just to me, but to God as he speaks through people. But this week, the habit is the happiness habit of trusting God. So once you've heard what he says, are you going to take him up on it? Trusting God. Somebody say, trusting God. God. This is the habit we're going to focus on today. And I only have one verse of scripture for our main text today. And because it's only one verse, I want us to stand together and say it from the screen. So would you stand? Everybody in the house here, stand. And we're going to read Proverbs 16, verse 20 together from the New King James Version, because the word is translated happy here in the New King James. It's blessed in other translations, but it's happy because the word is asherah in Hebrew. It means happy. And so look at this text. Let's read it together. Proverbs 16, verse 20, on the count of three. One Two, three, he who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Okay, great. That was a good start. I'm not convinced you heard it. So when we get to happy, I want with all of your strength, I want that last three words to be the strongest you can say them. Preach back to me. This is your chance. All right, are you ready? One, two, three. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, Oh, I feel happier already. Thank you. All right, this is God's Word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I ask that we will hear your voice today. I pray that the words that I say will be pleasing to you. I pray, God, that you will keep me from saying, that, keep me from saying anything that is not pleasing to you. And I pray that the people who hear these words, including myself, will not just hear, but will do. And we'll listen and and receive in our hearts the good seed of your word. We pray, as we always do, help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So we're dealing with a proverb here today. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. And I came across this definition of Proverbs which I thought, this is what a proverb is. It really is. Here's, here's what the definition I found is. Proverbs are short sentences drawn from long experiences. I love that because that's exactly what a proverb is. A proverb is a wise saying that somebody has come to realize because they lived a long time and they went through a long experience that shaped them into wiser people. And so the proverbs are kind of like the cliff notes for the good life. Instead of actually having to go through the challenge and trouble of somebody else's experience, you can learn from them by listening to their wisdom that God gave them through that long, enduring season. And I don't know about you, but if I have a chance to kind of skip over some bad things in my life and get to the good life a little bit quicker, based on somebody else's bad experiences, I'm down with that. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm down with that. Let me actually learn from what you say so that I don't actually have to go through the things that you went through. This is what a proverb is. It's a a saying of wisdom based on somebody's long endurance through some trying and troubled times. Now, I learned in seminary that there are two kinds of proverbs, but this week I learned that there are actually three kinds of proverbs. I'm I'm actually kind of upset about my seminary education. I want some of my money back, honestly. (laughs) The two that they taught me about in seminary were synonymous proverbs and antithetical proverbs. So synonymous means, and here's what a proverb is, basic structure, just bear with me because we're going somewhere. Basic structure of a proverb is one wise saying, but said two ways. One wise saying but said two ways, two phrases that make up the wisdom saying. So synonymous means that both sayings say the same thing, synonymous. Let me give you an example, Proverbs 16, 18, very familiar proverb. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And most of us take that two line proverb, we sum it up with one phrase and we say, pride goes before a fall. So we actually take the two lines, we make them one line because we're Americans. We like the fast food, for, for fast food line, right? So pride goes before a wall, but it's actually two things. The fall is destruction. Destruction is the fall. And it's not just pride. It's a haughty spirit. Synonymous. Both phrases are saying the same thing, but they're giving a measure of girth to the Word of God there to kind of drive the point home. But the second kind of proverb is an antithetical proverb. And this is a proverb that actually says the opposite thing. The first line says one thing. The second line says the opposite to kind of clarify what the proverb is actually giving us in terms of wisdom. So here's an example of an antithetic song, uh, proverb. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says this The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And we actually have a cultural euphemism in America that sum up this two line proverb in one sentence. And I wanna know if you are down with it, you might have heard this. We say things like this Man plans, and God what? <laughs> he laughs and really that comes from proverbs 16 verse 9. the heart of man says this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to do i'm going to go here i'm going to live there i'm going to get there and god says no no no, i am going to establish your steps because it's not all up to you what you become i am in charge all right so that's an antithetic proverb opposites but saying the same thing then i learned that there's a third kind a progressive proverb and what we just read today from Proverbs 16:20 that's what this one is. It's a progress of experience. It is a movement from one level to the next. And in Proverbs 16:20 God is asking us to listen closely and move beyond listening to trusting. So let's look at it again because here's what it says first line Whoever gives thought to the Word, this is from the ESV now, whoever gives thought to the Word or wisely listens to the Word will discover good. Now, how many know when you hear God speak, you will hear something good? Yes? We call the gospel good news. It is not bad news, it is good news. It is good news when you hear that God is not going to judge you for your sins if you come to faith in Christ Jesus, It is good news to hear that Jesus died for you. It is good news to hear that Christianity is not a religious program, but the meeting of a person named Jesus who loved you so dearly that he laid down his life for you at the cross 2,000 years ago so that you could have what he has with the Father relationship and closeness with the God of the universe. Come on, somebody, that's good news, right? That's not bad news, that's good news. If you've gone to church your whole life and you've never felt good about what you heard, you went to the wrong church. Amen. You should walk out saying, I'm glad I heard that. I needed to be reminded about, I needed to be reminded that my sins are washed away through Jesus Christ. Amen? Listening. though, That's the first line in Proverbs sixteen twenty. Whoever gives thought, whoever listens to the word will discover that what the word of God has to say is good but it's asking us to go to the next level. Somebody say, next level. next level. And the next level goes like this, and blessed is he. Blessed is he. Go back, notes person. Go back, slide person. Blessed is he. <laughs> Just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And this is the difference we need to see the proverb saying. There's listening to God. And then there's trusting him. There's listening to what he has to say, and then there's taking him up up on it and saying, I'm gonna do it because I trust that you are God and you are good. And so today I wanna talk to you about where are you sitting? Where are you sitting in the process or the progress of faith? I think that we can illustrate this with three chairs today. Three chairs that I believe everybody in this room is sitting in one of them. And that there is a progress from one to the other that I want to give you the tools today to help you move from the first chair to the last chair. So the first chair is the believing in chair. The believing in chair. And this is the chair that says, I believe in God. Sure, pastor, I'll come to church And listen to what you have to say, because after all, I'm sure that there's like a higher power up there somewhere. You know, the the, the people that stay in this chair uh, believe that Muslims and Christians and Jews and Buddhists and Hindus and Zen Buddhists and Taoists and all those people, we're all basically worshiping the same God or gods or whatever. And he's up there somewhere. Uh, I believe it. You go to AA, they tell you this is like step one. There's a higher power, right? There's somebody up there. Someone somewhere, I mean, it might be a girl. Who knows? It might not be a man. It might be a girl. Like, how, how you know, how uh, discriminatory is that to say God is a he? He might be a she. And if he's a she, we're all in trouble. Like, seriously, right? Like, you know, you know because we've gotten it wrong all this time. You know? and so, I mean, whatever. And there's a lot of people that sit in this chair. In fact, 90% of Americans believe in God. 90%. So 90% of people in our country acknowledge that there is some force or person out there that is over what's down here. And if you look at America, and if you look at what we're producing, and if you look at how we're acting and how we're treating each other, does it seem to you that believing in God alone makes any difference at all? No. Like a lot of people think this is what it takes to get to heaven, just believe in God. But if there is a God, don't you want to know what he has to say? (laughs) Don't you want to hear what he has to say? Don't you want to kind of get an idea of what kind of God he is? And what I have found is that this God that we believe in, he's like a split personality God. Like he's a God that agrees mostly with me. (laughs) And so, if I believe this, and that's not the God I, that God I serve believes in, now, of course, of course, God believes what I believe because He's God and he's God. He loves me and all kinds of stuff. So this God has split personalities because He's got to be different things to different people with different ideas and different experiences. So He's He's that kind of God, and I'm just telling you, and I want to warn you that this chair, this chair, does not get you to heaven. Doesn't. In fact, I know this because the Bible says it in James chapter 2. James, who was the younger brother of Jesus himself, grew up with Jesus, listened to Jesus, came to the conclusion that his big brother was the son of the living God. What would your big brother have to do to convince you that he is actually God in the flesh? He would probably have to rise from the dead. And that's exactly what Jesus did and James his younger brother said, I'm putting my faith in that guy. I, I I criticized him his whole life, but man, he is who he said he is. And when James writes his epistle to the church, look at what he says about believing in God. James 2:19, he says, you say you have faith? You believe that there is one God? Good for you. And then the next line, even demons believe that. Question. You don't have to be a theologian to get this one right. Are demons going to heaven? Yeah, no, you're kind of hesitant. I'm kind of scared about how, like, two of you are confident enough to say that demons are not going to heaven. Okay, full disclosure, I'm gonna ruin it. They're not going to heaven. <laughs> demons believe in God, and they don't just believe, they're like <sighs> trembling in terror. And then he says in verse 20, How foolish! Don't you know that if you have faith, but you don't have anything that proves that you have faith, it's useless? This is where 90% of America sit. This is where a lot of people think. And they justify themselves. And they justify themselves before the God of the universe saying, well, I believed in you. That's enough. No, it's not. And he left it in his word and his, big, and his younger brother even said it. It's not enough. There's got to be something more to just believing or acknowledging that there is a God in the universe. And so I'm asking you to step out. And I think that Proverbs 16:20 invites us first into this chair. I call it the listening to chair. And the listening to chair says the listening to chair makes the move from I believe that there's a God to let me hear what he actually has to say. Now if you're if you're here today or you're watching online great great news you actually already moved from this chair to this chair. You're sitting here means that you don't want to just believe in a God, you want him to speak to you. He's got something to say. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the word of God. He's the living word of God. He's the logos in the Greek. That means that he has a lot to say to his creation. And so this is the listening chair where we come to and we say, okay, God, what's up? What's going on? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want from my life? And many of you made the move from this chair to this chair because of different things. Some of you made the move from the believing in chair to the listening to chair because of a tragedy that came into your life. You were going along fine. Everything was good. And then you had a car accident and and suddenly something happened and you had a wake-up call and you could have been dead, but you're not. And so you got up out of the the believing in chair and you decided to get yourself to church and say, okay, God, speak to me because I just got a wake-up call. I've seen this happen so many times in our church. For the good, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, discrediting this. This is a good thing. But some of you were here, and you were married, and then the marriage fell apart, and you got up out of this chair, and you moved to the listening to chair. Or some of you were here, and you had a lot of money, and everything was going well, and you had a great job, and you had a great car, and you had a great house, and then a recession hit. And recession gets your attention, man. I remember in 2008, when we went through a recession, I was the pastor of this church, and when we went through a recession, and the economy tanked, our attendance skyrocketed. Everyone was suddenly like, oh, crap. Maybe I should listen to God. (laughs) Or or you were sitting in this chair and then you had one phone call, one phone call from a doctor. That's all it took. And he said, I got bad news for you. Your test came back and it is not good and you got to come in and see me right away. And you said, before I do that, I'm getting into this chair. And many people have done that and many people do that. But I got bad news about this chair. And the same guy who gave us bad news about this chair the, list, the believing in chair gives us bad news about the listening to chair James the younger brother of Jesus and he says in James 1 he says listen but don't just listen to God's word you must do what it says otherwise you are only fooling yourself Man, sometimes I really don't like James anybody with me But he must have been like, growing up with Jesus, he must have gotten this stuff all the time. Like, Mom, can you please tell Jesus to shut up? I am tired of him preaching at me all the time. But he learned, right? He caught it. He realized. He realized something that a lot of people never realize. That most people stop at this chair. And there's a happiness waiting. Beyond the listening to chair. It's called the trusting chair, and this is what happens when you move into the trusting chair. You stop just listening to God. In other words, God is more than just a fire escape. God is more than just the alarm system on your car just warning you of what might happen to you. God is more than just the get out of hell free card. Come on, somebody, Monopoly fans, right? God is more than just the guy that says some good things and tells me to just like believe in him and everything and to be fine. And all that stuff. God is more than that. God has a interest in my life, and He wants to speak to me, not just to tell me things, but to shape me and form me into who He imagines to be. And I'm telling you what the Scripture says: is blessed is He, happy is He who trusts in the Lord and moves from listening to doing, because that's where the blessing starts coming. I want you to move, I want you to move. But I want you to also understand that the devil spends most of his time in between the listening to chair and the trusting chair. This is where he lives in your life. And I'm not just talking about the devil himself. I'm talking about the spirit of the age, the world in which you live, the culture in which you live, the family you came from, whatever the thing is that's kind of pushing you in this direction back into the listening to chair. I'm telling you, most of Christian growth happens when we start working through the space from listening to to trusting in. Can I tell you that the devil will even applaud you as you sit in the listening to chair oh yeah he will in fact he is waiting for you outside these doors he is waiting for you because your new year's resolution was i need to get back to church i need to get back to church because i'm over here and my life stinks my life is crappy (laughs) and it's new year's maybe i should make this is the year this is the year this is the year year. my family's gonna be in church we're gonna go we're gonna go and the devil's like yeah (laughs) yeah that's right look at you And when you walk out these doors, he is going to praise you. He is going to clap. Look, he's going to be like, amazing. I am simply impressed. Look at how godly you are. You didn't sleep in. You didn't stay home. My word, I am done messing with you because you got yourself to church. And all the while, he's puffing you up because he's also read the scripture that says, pride comes before of all. Ooh, it's getting quiet in here. But it's true. And I've seen it happen with people. They come to church and they listen and they say, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay and listen to what you got to say, Pastor. And then they're here until the pastor says something that they didn't want to hear. And then, so the pastor says something about my money. Whoa. I knew you'd get to that. I knew you'd get to money. I knew it. The church just wants my money. The church just wants my money. I knew it. And so what they'll do is they'll say, ah, forget that. I'm out of here. And they'll go right back to the believing in chair. It was happier here. Nobody's talking about my money. It's my money. I'm, I worked hard for it. It's mine. And Or if it's not money, it's romance. It's, it's, I've seen this so many times. <laughs> And then, and then we talk about sexuality, and we talk about godly sex, and we talk about marriage, and not living together, and we talk about not having sex before marriage, and all that kind of stuff. All those archaic Victorian age stuff that everybody thinks and laughs at in our world. All that stuff that we actually believe still as Christians, as godly people. All those things that actually prosper your life and don't harm your life, right? And we start talking about it, and some people say... No way! No, that can't be true. That can't be true. Oh, thanks. That was that was a good that was a good time at church. But I'm I think I'm gonna go back to the believing in chair. That was easier. I I had more autonomy, more more rights over my own body and my life. And and so we will actually let we will let offenses come at us and push us back into the believing in chair. Can I tell you one thing? that I've seen happen in this church so many times. Young people, young ladies, listen to me. Listen to me, young ladies, because I've seen this happen so many times. Our pastoral care director, Chris McEwen, talks about this all the time. And he has seen this happen with young ladies in our culture. And they're sitting in the believing in chair. And they're dating a loser. He's a jerk. He doesn't respect her. He doesn't treat her right. And she's only with him. Do you know why? Because she doesn't know how valuable she is to her father in heaven. And so something happens, and they break up. And she's heartbroken. But God uses the heartbreak, and she gets up out of the believing chair, and she says, you know what? I will go to that church with you. I will listen to that guy. I will hear what God says. And she gets into this chair, and then suddenly God starts to move in her life and speak to her heart. And then she even goes through baptism. She's even like, baptism sounds cool. And, man, I saw somebody else in church post their baptism pic on Facebook, and they look so good coming out of the water. I think I'll do that, too because that's why we get baptized, right? For our Instagram feed. (laughs) Joking. I'll do that, that sounds like a good idea, let me get baptized, and she will get baptized. Now ladies, (laughs) write this down. Because the devil watched the whole thing happen. And he waited, and he bided his time. He is a strategic enemy. And he waited until the moment you came up out of those waters. And as soon as you went home from baptism Sunday, here's what he did. He went back over to schlub boy and he started to talk to him and say, hey, you remember Rebecca? She was a good girl, wasn't she? Why why did you ever let her go? She's a good girl. You know, that's a girl you could really settle down with. Now, mind you, schlub boy is not a Christian. He's a heathen. And suddenly he starts to get thinking, you know what, that's right, maybe I should call her. And so literally, she comes out of the baptism waters and two days later, she gets a phone call from schlub boy. Oh, hey, that's interesting to hear from you. I was just thinking about you actually myself. I was praying for you. Yeah, I was praying for you. You know, I'm Christian, I'm going to church. Oh, oh, really? And then here's what she does. Oh, yeah, well, maybe we could get together again. And Maybe, I don't know. I just, a, oh, thanks. You, you like my eyes still? <laughs> oh. You always did have a way. All right, let's get together tonight, sure. And before you know it, her future in Christ has been hijacked by the devil's schemes. You know, the Bible says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. Some of you got to wake up to this. The number one reason why you're going to start reading the Word and trusting God is because your enemy is a strategic mastermind, and he will trick you into believing a lie that will destroy you because he has no vested interest in you becoming what God wants you to be. Watch out. Watch out for the victory moments when you start listening to and things start happening a positive way for you, and that's when the enemy comes in and says, See, you've earned a little bit of disobedience now. You've earned a little bit of listening less to God. Now, look at you. You've been doing good. Just taste. Just go back a little bit. I'm not asking you to deny the faith. I'm just asking you to play around a little bit because after all, you've been doing well, and he will get you back into the believing chair before you know it, and you'll never be happy. And I got no skin in the game if you listen to me or not. I got no skin in the game. This is about your happiness. I'm asking you, To start jumping over whatever is keeping you stuck in the listening to chair and to start saying to yourself, I'm not just going to be a hearer of what God says. I'm going to be a doer of what God says because my father in heaven loves me. Jesus died for me to prove it. And I know he wants what's best for my life. So three tests. Three tests that are gonna help you jump from the listening chair to the trusting chair. Number one, trusting God begins when I believe what God says, I'm sorry, when what God says challenges what I believe. I call this the intellect test. There's a tendency for Americans especially to become too smart for God. And they just start thinking, yeah, I know, that's old-fashioned. No, yeah, I know. That's a, we, don't, we don't really believe everything now that God said, so come on, come on. We're modern people. <laughs> we have science. Except for when we want to deny science. We have science. Right? That's our culture. We have, science has disproven God. But then when science disproves something else that we believe, we just shelve science. And it's my body, and it's my life, and it's my right, and I have, and I've earned. I'm smart. I know a few things. Intellect. Don't let your intellect get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. you got to see God for who he is. He is the God of the universe. And he has been around a heck of a lot longer than you. And he knows. And he put it in his word. Story after story after story of people like Saul and Solomon and Samson who let what they thought was right call the shots in their life, and they suffered terribly for. And those long experiences become short sentences of Proverbs to save us from the same hell those people went through. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then the qualifier there, look at that next line in bold, and do not lean on your own understanding. There are going to be times when you're going to hear God say something through the Word of God. And it's going to challenge what you think is right. And the question is, you've, and, the, and the reality is, you've just come up against coming into the trusting chair. Are you going to let what you think is right drive the bus? Or are you going to let God speak to you about what he knows is right and lead you into a trusting and blessed experience? Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I see so many crooked Christians. They're going all over the place. They're running here, then they're running there, and they're listening to this, and this, and that, and they're going with their gut, and they're following their intuition, and they're listening to their heart, and they're doing all the things that the world tells us to do. And I just got a question for you. I just got a question for you. In the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? Right? Because you are not the all-knowing, all-wise God of the universe. You are a finite, temporary human being who needs God to lead you. And he will straighten out what this world will make crooked. Don't trust yourself, trust in him. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, more bluntly, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. How many of you like when the the Bible is just kind of like more blunt? Oh, you're following your heart? Fool. Oh, you're going with your gut? Dummy. (laughs) Oh, you've got a master's degree, and you think that your master's degree has exempted you from trusting what God says? Dummy. Like, right? Like, this is what the Proverbs is saying. Don't trust in your own understanding, but trust in God's word. Or how about other people? Psalm 118.89 says this, it is better to trust in the Lord or take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Princes here is bold because I I think about the important people. Who's the important people that you are listening to? Patterning patterning your life after important people? You're going to trust people that have no interest in you? People that have never met you? People that do not love you? People that only love themselves? You're going to listen to them about what you should do? Are you crazy? Like they have no interest. They have nothing, no skin in the game with your life. You're gonna listen to them? And we do this with two main things in our lives, two main areas. Let me just tell you, I'm gonna ruin it for you because the two main issues right here, right now in America that keep us from trusting, two main issues, money and sex. Money and sex. And it's the two main issues that took down David's kingdom, that took down Solomon's kingdom, that took down Samson, Time and time again, guy after guy after guy, girl after girl after girl, have hijacked and shipwrecked their faith on greed and lust, and listening to the important people of our age. The other night, my wife and I were watching a television show from the 1990s on Netflix. And in that particular episode, we were watching with our seven-year-old son, Jake. Jake. And in that particular episode, they were talking about the, the two people who were dating who, in the, in the episode, you want them to get together, and they get together, and they decide in that episode, let's live together. And it's like, this, is, this has replaced the guy getting down on his knee with the diamond ring now. Right? Now, now, now the romantic moment that is, that is painted in, in beautiful pictures for American culture to consume is the guy and the girl saying, let's live together. And everybody's like, oh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations for what? They did what college students do every day. They moved in together. There's no skin in the game. There's no buying in. There's no life on the line. There's no covenant. There's no agreement. There's no promise. There's just, it's convenient and it feels good. Yeah. My seven-year-old son watching this turns to my wife and says, Mom, that doesn't sound right. And she had the opportunity that moment to say, no, it's not right. And then he said, but why are they so happy about it? you got to listen to me. Whether you believe it or not, you are being programmed every single day. Programmed to follow the princes of this age. Programmed to listen to what the world thinks you should do with your life. And you are being listened to. You are being spied on. You're like, I know, you're talking about the devil. No, I'm talking about Google. I'm talking about Facebook. I'm talking about Alexa. You think she's just there to turn on your lights? Uh-uh. She's listening to you. Have you had this happen yet? I've had it happen. You're having a verbal conversation with another human being about a product. Then you go onto your Instagram and you scroll up and, oh, what a glorious coincidence a sponsored advertisement for the very thing that I just talked to them about. This must be a God moment. No, it's a Google moment, dummy. They're listening to you and they're listening for information because they want to get your money and they don't care about your body. And if you let it, this culture will suck you. (sighs) Am I preaching to anybody yet? Come on, are you hearing this? <laughs> Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. What if, they, what, if I, what if I do, Pastor? What if I do what you're doing? And I go over the trusting here. What if they don't like me? Fear of man. What if my neighbor picks on me? Fear of man. What, what, what if in college, what if, I, what if I come clean with who I am and they hate me for it? Well, they've been calling us haters for so long, I don't know if it means anything anymore. <laughs> fear of man lays a snare. And the word snare here in Hebrew literally means hook in the nose. There's a lot of Christians, this is your life, spiritually. You're letting everybody just like, oh, are you okay with me if I do this? Are you okay if I live like this? I know, I don't want to offend you. I, don't, I know, I'm just, you know, it's just my religion. I'm sorry, I don't want to be, like fear. Let go of that. Trust in the unlimited, unmeasurable love of your Father in heaven so that you don't care if the world loves you. (laughs) Trust in the Lord. (laughs) Intellect test. Number two test. Trusting God begins when what I want is different from what I have. I call it the possessions test. So you give your life to Jesus and you want things. Everybody wants things. And there's nothing wrong with wanting things. There's something wrong with lusting and coveting things. And, and you've got to learn, Christian, to be content with what God determines for you to have and not fall into the trap of the prince's mindset that if you have, you will be happy. If you get, joy will be yours. The possessions test. So, so, so this is where money hits the rubber hits the road in regards to money, tithing, like giving the first tenth to God. My, my whole life, my wife, our whole life, we have tithed. This past week, we got our giving statement for Waters Church because we give, we tithe, and we go above the tithes, by the way, because God is always able to give more. And we have seen that time and time again. We looked at our giving statement. Both of us looked at it and said, Whoa. It was the most we've ever given in one single year. And I added it up, and I realized that it was double the amount of my entire first year of salary in ministry. So how does that happen? When you trust in the little, God puts you in charge of much. Like, And here's here's where it comes down for me with tithing, with giving, with money. He's either the God of the universe or he's not. He's either able to prosper you and bless you, or he's not. And you got to settle this out. you got to settle this out in order to make the leap into the trusting chair, because you'll never see the prosperity of God until you let go of just listening and saying, that sounds like a good idea, good for you, pastor. And you start doing it, and you start seeing God come through in it, and you start to deepen a faith to believe that your God will indeed provide all your needs. The possessions test. Proverbs 11:28 says, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. If we don't trust in riches, we trust in our guns. We trust in our safety. We trust in our security. All the things that we put into place. There are some Christians that are more committed to the second amendment of the United States than the gospel of Jesus. It's like, oh, don't take my guns. I'm like, man, if they take your guns, you still have Christ. Like sometimes I just watch, I see them on Twitter, they're like freak out over the gun issue. Oh, I'm all for the second amendment. I'm all for it. Keep your guns. God bless you. But seriously, your gun is not your trust. Your God is your trust, Christian. Psalm 44, verse six. I do not trust in my bow. Bow is another word for gun. They just didn't have them back then. I do not trust in my sword. It is my God who gives me victory over my enemies. Where's your trust? Third test. The third test of moving from the listening to to the trusting chair. I trust, uh, trusting God begins when I, what I expected is different from what I experienced. I call this the circumstance test. Somebody lied to some of you, and they told you that if you come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. No, some will. Like the problem of you going to hell will go away. Hallelujah. That's a good problem to go away. Anybody with me on that one? But you might pick up some relational friction right here. This is relational friction right here. What if I come and my wife isn't pleased? What if I come and my husband doesn't come? What if, what, what if, what if I come and I sit in this trusting chair and then my parents don't get me and they don't understand it? What, what if I do this and, and it starts to cost me friends? And the relational tension doesn't get less. It gets higher. Jesus said that. He said, listen, I've come to divide father and son, mother and daughter, sister and brother. I mean, this is the relational tension that's gonna come from trusting in Christ. Who are you trusting in? You're learning. Listen, you're learning in those moments to deepen your roots in Christ. I think about Paul the Apostle. Listen to this. This is crazy. Paul the Apostle, who gave his life to do one thing, Speak for Jesus and tell every living creature about him that he possibly could. And you would think, oh, he's got such a noble aspiration. Surely God would make it go well with him. And he got exactly the opposite. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. And listen to what he says. I love this passage. This passage has meant so much to me over the years. In 2 Corinthians chapter one, it says this. Paul says, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. If you're taking notes, just underline burdened beyond our strength. Just underline that. Because that phrase Paul gives us blows away the cultural epitaph that we throw around like candy, God never gives you more than you can handle. Um, Paul says he does. I was burdened beyond what I could handle. I wanted to die, verse 9. Indeed, we felt like death was on the way, the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us. He will deliver us. And we have our hopes in him that he will deliver us again. Here's what Paul said. I did what God wanted me to do. I got out of the listening chair. I trusted. I got into the trusting chair and I listened to God and I followed him and I got into a situation that I was at my end. And I thought I was going to die. But I'm telling you something. I have learned how to live in such a way that even if I die, I serve the God who beat death 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Nothing can stop him from doing what he wants to do in my life. So can I tell you what's actually staying between standing between your um, listening to and trusting it, it's your what-ifs? Pastor, you know, um, you're hitting me. And, and I really don't like this message actually. Uh, I'd rather you go back to last week's message, preach that one again. <laughs> because if I start doing that giving thing, if I start doing that obedience thing, if I start doing that purity relational thing, what if? Yeah, well, what about your what ifs? Here's what trusting looks like. You need to do this regularly as a Christian. You need to start flipping your what ifs into even ifs. This is faith. This moves you from listening to, to trusting in. You see it? About 2,500 years ago, three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the only three guys in their whole country that didn't bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Nebuchadnezzar freaked out on them, brought them into the courtroom, and said, you either bow or you're going to burn. You know what they said to him? most important man on the the planet at that time, most important man, they said, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. The God we serve is able to deliver us from your hands. And they didn't leave it there. There's another line. It's a great line. You know what else they say? But even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not bow. I want to know if there's some Christians in 2019 America who will start turning their what-ifs into even-ifs and say, if it worked for them, it can work for me. I serve the God who brought them through the fiery flames, and he'll bring me through too. Hold it up and tell yourself, even if. Even if it comes. I know because Jesus is that good. He's worth it. And You get into that trusting chair. And you start just laying it down and you move on in faith. This is where happiness happens. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, and I want to just tell you why I'm sharing this verse in just a moment, but here's what it says in Hebrews 13. It says, may, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may be doing his will and pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what that Bible, you know what that verse tells us? We're sheep. We're sheep. Somebody say, bah. (laughs) See, you're sheep. I'm a sheep. Sheep are not smart people. Beings, not people. Sheep are not people, and they're not smart. And Elizabeth Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot, who just died recently, she was the wife of Jim Elliot, who he and four friends went down to Ecuador to bring the gospel to the native tribes and landing on the shores after dropping scores of food and trying to bless them in the name of Jesus in order to bring them the gospel. They landed on the shores and within one hour, they were speared to death by those natives. She lost her first husband. You know what she said? Even if. One year later, she went back to that same tribe and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ and led them to faith. The same people who killed her husband. Then she got married again to a seminary professor up here in Hamilton, Massachusetts. And four years into their marriage, he died. And you would think, man, this girl's got to give up now. You know what she did? Even if. She actually took over his professorship at the school and taught Bible students for decades. And one time during her life, she was living near a shepherd. And she said that her whole picture of the lost sheep was blown away. Because we have this image of Jesus getting a lost sheep. We have this image. It's such, a, it's, just a, it's such a sanctified image. Jesus comes and he finds the lost sheep and the lost sheep is like, meh, meh. And he's like, oh, a lost sheep. And he puts the lost sheep and it's just a tender moment as Jesus, the loving shepherd, brings back the lost sheep. Meh, meh. I mean, it's just beautiful. She says, that's nothing like the real thing. She says, I saw that happen. I saw it happen. When lost sheep are lost, they don't want to come back. And they kick and they run and they squirm off into the little hiding areas as the sheep runs them down. And she said, I saw a sheep finally get caught by its shepherd. And the shepherd literally took the sheep, body slammed the sheep on its side, wrapped its front legs together, wrapped its front back legs together, threw it over his shoulders. And while the sheep struggled the whole way, brought it back into the fold without a single word out of his mouth. And she said, I learned in that moment that sometimes the most loving thing that a shepherd can do for his sheep is body slam them to the ground, wrap their feet together, throw it over his shoulder reluctantly and bring it back into the sheepfold and say, I'm not letting the world have you. I'm not letting the devil have you. I'm not letting your foolishness have you. I'm bringing you back because I'm the great shepherd of the sheep. (laughs) And that's what God's gonna do sometimes. And you gotta learn to settle it out now so that when it does, you don't kick and scream your whole way back. But you listen to God and you trust in him And I'm telling you, you're going to be happier for it. Three questions and finally we're done. In that area, right here, in this little area right here, whatever it is that's keeping you from trusting. Number one question, am I willing to do whatever God says in Scripture even if I don't agree with it? Am I willing to? Because you don't have to, but you will be back and you won't be happy. Number two, am I willing to accept... Anything God sends, allows to happen, or brings to an end? Whether I want it or not, that's the possessions test. And number three, am I content to allow the Lord's plans and purpose to prevail in my life, even if they aren't what I hoped for and dreamed of and planned? That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you move from listening to to trusting. And the Bible says that's where happiness is. Because God comes through.